Well, good morning, church. How is everyone this morning? Doing wonderful. Wonderful. Glad you're here. Anybody tired? Feeling feeling that that hour gone? Yes, but praise the Lord that you're here this morning. Uh, My name is Cody King. If you're a first-time guest with us, I'm the Edgewood Campus Pastor. And uh, we're very glad that you're here. I want to welcome those that are joining us in Wills Point this morning and those joining us online. We're very glad that you're with us as well. And it is always a joy for me to share in God's Word with you all. Now, um, has anyone in here or in Wills Point or online, by show of hands, um, ever asked the question, uh, what is God's will for mom? Anybody? You ever come to that point where it's, 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 you just have this in mind where it's just, you know, what am I supposed to do? What is my purpose in being here? A lot of times when we come to that question, that question comes to mind with a view to the future. It's, what a, God, what's your will for my life? What is my purpose here so that 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, we've, we've accomplished some purpose? But it's always forward thinking, or say always. It tends to be a forward thinking question. But when we think of God in our everyday lives, when our everyday lives, we make everyday decisions. But how often does that sentiment or that thought come to mind when it comes to our everyday decisions? Is God's, God, what is your will for my life at this moment? And that's a question and, and a thought or perspective that we should have more than what I believe that we do. Even for my own life, as I know that I can respond to things that happen in the day or my everyday life instead of really seeking what's God's will for that thing. And I would say that probably more than 90% of our lives is not premeditated. It's retroactive, right? Or we're reactive to situations that we come to. But the question becomes is, do we align ourselves with God's will in that moment? And the better question is, do we know how? So this morning, I want to talk through what that looks like. When we face decisions within our lives or everyday decisions that we come to, how do we determine God's God's will for that thing? Be it buying a house, purchasing a vehicle, should I homeschool my kids or put them in public school? Whenever someone has harmed me in some way, how do I respond to that person? Should I look at this? Should I listen to that? A myriad of questions that you and I can come to How do we determine God's will for those things? Now, we have some poor methods, some very poor methods that you and I can utilize and probably have used. I know in all three of these that I'm about to share with you, as poor methods, I myself have done these things, and you can probably relate. One is the miraculous sign method. We we come to a, a decision we need to make in our life. We're not sure really how to make this decision, so we just pray, Lord, would you give me a miraculous sign? Give me a sign so that I know how to move or how to respond to this in some ways. But even in that sign, we can still question. We have a really good example of this in Exodus. We have Moses, he's walking one day and he sees this, what, burning bush. We have a bush that's on fire, but yet it's not being consumed. And out of this bush comes the voice of God, Moses, and yes, And he goes, and take your sandals off your feet. You're standing on hallowed ground and all of that. I would call that a miraculous sign. Amen? So he has this conversation with with God via this bush. And God says, hey, you're going to be my man. You're going to go speak to Pharaoh on my behalf. You're You're going to speak to my people. You're going to lead them out of bondage. And what does Moses say? Yeah, 
Fantastic, I'm on board, burning bush God. Yes, I'm with you. Is that what God said? Or Moses said? No. Moses said, eh, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't talk good. So Moses, even he's, he's got the sign, miraculous sign in front of him. So then he asked God for a sign. God, would you give me a sign? God says, you see that staff in your hand? Throw it on the ground. It turns into a snake. Call that a sign. Miraculous as it is. And still Moses argued with the Lord to a point where the Lord's anger burned against Moses in Exodus 4. Because of his argumentative nature, though seeing a sign, he still didn't, still didn't really align himself with God's will or he struggled to. Right? So that's a poor, poor way to go about it, asking for a sign. Personally, one, one time in college, I was struggling with this situation, as foolish as it was, but nonetheless, it was heavy upon me, and I remember asking the Lord for a sign. Now, at this point in my life, I was not walking with the Lord in any way, but I knew he existed, I knew he was there, and I asked him, God, would you give me a sign? How do I do this? And then one day, I'm headed to Commerce, to class, and I pass Duck Cove, for those of you that are familiar with Lake Tawakonee, and and I crossed the bridge there and then stuck in the ground right past the bridge in the embankment. You know, a little vote for whoever sign, campaign sign. Uh, there's one of those stuck in the ground that particular day. And it had three words on it. You want to guess what it said? It said sign from God. I prayed and I asked the Lord for a sign. I'll think sarcastically, here you go, here's your sign. But still a poor method because the sign didn't say, here's what you go do. You know, Moses had a very clear, here's the miraculous thing. Here's exactly what my will is I'm telling you to do. And he still struggled with it. In that particular example, God in his goodness gave me a sign that settled, gave me some peace about the situation that ended up working itself out. I don't think I actually did anything, but still a poor method for us to seek signs. The other poor method is, in, is the open door method. Right, you're just going along through your life and everything's grand and all right. Nothing's really problemsome or anything. And all of a sudden, an opportunity arises. Maybe it's a job change and it's, it's, it's an offer of more money in some ways. So it's just this door has been opened to me. Right? An opportunity has presented itself. Well, if, if a door's been opened, I should just walk through the door, right? I don't think that's really a good method for determining God's will in that. Just because a door opens doesn't necessarily mean that's God's will for you. Another example in my life, I have worked for a company, and um, at one point the company uh, goes under, um, belly up, whatever you want to call it, um, just ceased. So I'm unemployed. Uh, but a different company that we did work for, they offered me a job. And in terms of that industry, if I would have accepted that job, my career in that industry would have catapulted. More money, all the things were laid out before me. But for the first time in my life, really, aside from asking God for a miraculous sign, I didn't feel as if that's what the Lord wanted me to do, though a door had been opened. If I had taken that open door, most likely, I may or, not, may or may not be here today. But in terms of God's will, it's his will that I am here today. Ergo, I didn't take that job just because the door was open. And then lastly is the closed door, open window method. Maybe you're familiar. You ever heard the saying, just because God closes a door, when God closes a door, he opens a window. Ever heard that? Anybody ever said that? I'm sorry, I'm about to pick on you. 
If God closes a door, he doesn't want you in there. And open a window. Who goes in windows? <laughs> For criminals. <laughs> right? But if the door is shut, you know, in some ways, it's, it's, it's a poor method to see this. If we're looking for, all right, God closed this door, therefore a window is going to open up somewhere over here. You know, we should be careful in determining whether or not that is God's will. It's a poor method is what I'm getting at. But all of those things in my life, personally, I've looked for God's will through those types of means. And by God's grace and other times, I've not moved through an open door. But there's other times where I did and find troublesome times in some way. But before we get to the better method, which through the bulk of this, our time this morning, we're going to see the better method. Uh, but I'd like to talk about what is God's will? What really is it? If we come to that question, God, what is your will for my life? God's word gives us a clear picture of generally speaking what his will is for you and I. And from that general understanding of what his word says, we can find how we determine his will in everyday decisions. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thess 4, beginning in verse 1, Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he says this, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus... That as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So he's commending them. Hey, you've heard from us, you know, how you should walk, how you should please God. You're doing that thing. You should keep on doing that thing. Verse 2, he says, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So you can note where their instruction came. Paul's not writing to him saying, hey, you listen to what we said. You're doing what we said, how to please God. But he's not saying that we said these things because it sounds good to us. He says, you listen to our instruction that we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Paul is noting where instruction comes from. First and foremost, it comes from the Lord as he conveys it to the church. And he commends them for following it. But then verse 3, if you have a pen, get ready to underline for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, hey, you listen to our instruction, you're looking to how to please God, you're already do it, doing it, keep doing it more and more. We taught you these things from the Lord Jesus Christ, and hey, you know what? For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So for you and I, when we think through that, God, what is your will for my life? Right there, you have a clear statement from the Apostle Paul in God's word that God's will for your life, his will for my life, is our sanctification. So generally speaking, sanctification, the word in the Greek is hagiosmos, but it means purification. It means to be made holy. It's a process that you and I enter into where we are being made holy. We're being sanctified. Verse 7, Paul says this. He says, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Same Greek word, hagiosmos. Romans 6, 19. Paul says, you once presented your, presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Paul tells the Romans, he's like, a, a, a difference, a change has happened within you when you came to Christ. Is in your sin before Christ, you were slaves to sin. Your body was given over to sin. 
and lawlessness. But when you came to Christ, a change happened. The old goes away, the new comes. You are now becoming slaves of righteousness, and this leads to your sanctification. Look at verse 8. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Paul lays out for the church, he says, look, we came and taught you, we came and instructed you. That was according to Jesus Christ. God's will is this, your sanctification, that you would be made holy. And if you disregard this, you're not disregarding me as the one that instructed you. You're disregarding God who gives you the Holy Spirit. What Paul is getting at is God's will for you and I is our sanctification, our being made holy. But he gives us his Holy Spirit to bring about that holiness in us. Because on our own, we're slaves to sin, as he tells the Romans. Slaves to sin. We're completely given over to our sin. But God's standard is holiness and righteousness. God's standard is perfection. But God knows that on our own, we cannot hold ourselves to that standard. But nonetheless, God's will for the believer is that we would be sanctified and made holy. God's will for the unbeliever is that they would be sanctified and made holy. And that is a work of Jesus Christ. And the means with which God brings that will about in you and I is his Holy Spirit. So do you see the picture there, what God did? What God does for you and I is that his standard is holiness. He knows on our own we cannot accomplish that thing. So he provides for us his spirit to bring that about in us so that we then can be within his will. And that should be an amen, 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 amen. Is that once you and I were impure, we were lawless. He made us pure and righteous and calls us to holiness. And it's his spirit that sanctifies us towards that. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And I'd also like you, get, once you get to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be starting in verse 15. But grab that spot and then turn over and grab Colossians chapter 3. We're going to flip there here in a minute. So those two places. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians 5. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have this for you on the screen. But if you've got your Bible in your hand, those two places, Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. But beginning in Ephesians 5, verse 15, Paul says this. He says to the Ephesian church, he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. He says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So Paul writes to the Ephesian church, and he tells them, Here's, you need to understand what the will of God is, and it's that you would be filled with the Spirit. Now we can understand why from what he said to the, Thessalon- to the Thessalonians. Is that why would we be filled with the Holy Spirit? So then we can, he can produce sanctification and God's holiness within us. But again, Paul is noting what God's will is, is that we would be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? If you're familiar with your Bible, in Acts chapter 2, you have the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost, and it, and it descends upon the believers that were praying there, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues and all of these things. And you see these miraculous signs begin to play out before all the people in Jerusalem. Is that the same feeling that Paul is talking about here? 
No. It's two different Greek words for the feeling there. The feeling at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was a matter of miraculous signs taking place to affirm a work of the Lord. In this case, Paul is saying that we would be filled with the Spirit and that we would be yielding ourselves to the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit in such a way that we're, we're giving ourselves to His leading. We're stepping in line with how He would drive us and lead us in our lives. And that is the thing that brings about our holiness, is being filled with the Spirit. Now, specifically, what is God's will? We have two specific examples here. Generally, it's to be holy. But we deal with specific things in our lives, right? Two things right here we have a specific example for, and I think it bears mentioning. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, he says that this is the will of God, your sanctification. But then he says that you abstain from sexual morality. So to put that in its context, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. They're struggling with this thing of sexual morality, and they're all being immoral for the most part. So he says, God's will for you is to be sanctified, to be holy, to be pure, and to abstain from that which makes you impure. So when it comes to decisions we make, if you're faced with a decision that has anything to do with sexuality, if it's a sexuality that leads to immorality, if it does not produce God's holiness in you, then you have a clear answer from Scripture on how you are to respond to that. You should respond to that decision in whatever way it would be, is to be, see God's holiness produced in you, not impurity. But then here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, we're to understand what the will of the Lord is. Now he says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So why drunk? He's writing to a different church, Ephesian church. And in Ephesus, there's a, the culture of the people. They worship the god Bacchus. And Bacchus was the god of wine, God little g. He was the God of wine. And the people there within the culture, they believed that in order to hear from their God, in order to commune with their God, or determine their little G God's will, what they would do was they would all come together and they would get drunk. After all, he's the God of wine. So they would get drunk in order to determine the will of their God. But the one true God, through Paul, writes to them and says, No, you need to understand what the will of God is, and it's not to get drunk. The way you determine my will is not drunkenness. It's to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So practically for you and I, when we come to decisions that determine how we should move in this, what we should do, students, you can lean into this. If it's a weekend and you're at a party somewhere and everyone else is getting drunk around you and you're trying to decide how do I move or how do I respond in this, well, think through this question. Does you Taking part in this, does it produce God's holiness in you? Yes or no? If the answer is no, then you do not do it. And you will find yourself walking in God's will. That doesn't necessarily mean don't be at that party, but what is your purpose for being at that party? Does it produce God's holiness in you? Or would it produce immorality in you or drunkenness? If it's the latter, God's word, in order to be in his will, would say don't do it. It is a very practical way to take out of God's word what his will is for you in the moment. Adults, very same. Same exact thing. I know I address students there. Same thing for adults. If you're out and about, if you're at a bar, if you're partying, or if you're whatever it may be, if you're looking at those two things, does it produce God's holiness in you or not? 
But God said, that's not the way you can determine my will. It is to be filled with the Spirit. So understood in the context there, it means to be directed, influenced, and ultimately governed by the Holy Spirit and yielding our wills to it. What was Moses' challenge? Moses' challenge was to align his will with what God's will was because he saw the difficulty that was inherent and he feared even his ability to do it, but he wasn't aligning his will with the Lord. But we've been given the Spirit, and if we align ourselves to him and his leading, we will find ourselves being made holy and we're in God's will. So then this becomes the filter with which we can run every, every decision we face through. Now let's note what Paul says following being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now flip over to Colossians. No, stay, I'm sorry. My bad. Stay in Ephesians 5. We'll get to Colossians here in just a second. I almost got ahead of myself. So in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Be filled with the Spirit. But in 19, note the things that follow being filled with the Spirit. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul says here is that when we're walking and we're understanding God's will and that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the results of that feeling, the things that come from that are singing psalms and hymns together, making melody to the Lord. We're giving thanks. All of this in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have harmony within our relationships. If you follow Ephesians 5 into chapter 6, in our marriages, the way we relate to our kids, our kids to parents, in our workplaces. But now flip to Colossians chapter 3. Those are results of being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5. Look what Paul says to the church at Colossae. In verse 16 of chapter 3, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now note the results of that. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you see the results in both of those places? In one sense, understand what the will of God is, that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and what follows are these things. To the church in Colossae, he says clearly, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and the same results follow from having that word dwell in you richly. This suggests that there is a close correlation and meaning between the two. To be filled with the Spirit and to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now there is a challenge within the church is that we do one thing to the exclusion of the other in many places. Or to the lessening of it. Right? You, can, you can find one church over here that's a Spirit-filled church. We preach full gospel here. As if the Bible church over here doesn't preach full gospel or isn't filled with the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit being the forgotten God on the other side of the extreme. But you see in God's word, it's both hand. Understanding what the, God, the will of God is, is that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. The results of that are the same results as if we're letting his word dwell in us richly. Max Anders says, he says, This feeling then is best understood as a command for the believer to yield himself to the illuminating, convicting, and empowering work of the Spirit as he works in our hearts through his word, our lives are then brought into conformity to his will. 
Because when you and I, see what we've done thus far this morning as we've looked at God's word, is we started with the question that we would all confess we've asked before in our lives. God, what is your will for our lives? That's us speaking to God the way God speaks to you and I with clarity. I know we may desire, I would desire a burning bush in the voice of God to empower my heart with exactly what his will is. But what God has done is he's given his, his word via his Bible. The way we ask God, God, what is your will for our life? He responds to us, has responded via his word. This is how in verse 17 of Ephesians 5, we understand what the will of the Lord is. It's by letting his word richly dwell within us. Not scantily, not a past surface reading of it. We let his word richly settle on our hearts and our minds. Warren Wiersbe says this understanding suggests that our minds, suggests using our minds to discover and do the will of God. He says too many Christians have the idea that discovering God's will is a mystical experience that include, that rules out clear thinking. Because if we get too far on one side of the spectrum and we just, all I, all I need is God's spirit and he's going to tell me everywhere I go. And this feels right. This door open, it really feels like that he wants me to just walk through it. And there's so much that's left in feeling, but feelings are real. Feelings can be a guide, but they're not always reliable. And God knows that. He gives us his spirit, but he also gave us his word so that we can read and we can attest what his word has said to us. And his spirit brings about that understanding within us. He says, this idea is wrong and dangerous to rule out clear thinking. We discover the will of God as he transforms the mind Romans 12, 1 and 2. And this transformation is the result of the word of God. It's a result of prayer, meditation, and worship. So the will of God is not a roadmap to what we should do with our lives. But it's a relationship. The aim is to be gradually conformed to his image and to experience a renewal of our minds. So the question is no longer, God, what is your will for my life? The question becomes, God, what is your will for this world and how do I align myself with it in a way that produces your holiness in me? And when you and I have that mindset for what God's will is and our purpose here, we will find ourselves being more in step and at peace with decisions we make knowing that we're walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, Colossians chapter 1. So knowing his will becomes secondary to knowing him. Once we come to deepen in our relationship with him, a clearer, more specific understanding of his will will follow. If we reverse the question and what our desire is, God, what's your desire for this world? How do I align with it? And you walk with his spirit, the results are inevitable. You're going to be in his will and peace, and contentment, and joy, and comfort, and all of those things that every one of us in this room desires will follow. But we get in our own way. So the better method, from a clear and practical standpoint, is when we're facing decisions, is cons first and foremost, consult God's word. Go there. First Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What that means is his divine power, his spirit has given us his word written through men, spirit-inspired pen in men's hand 
And all things that pertain to life and godliness are found here. And as we looked earlier, as it pertains to sexual immorality, it's pretty clear. If it doesn't present, or drunkenness, if it doesn't present, produce God's holiness, don't do that thing. But we can ask ourselves this question, this question, is there a certain action that I desire to take that is clearly prohibited in the Scripture? Do what Scripture says. So if the Word addresses it, obey the Word. Now, what do we do when God's Word isn't so explicitly clear on decisions that we face? I haven't ever come across a text in the Bible that tells me, yes, you should buy that car. No matter how much I may want it to be in there, depending on what it is. Whether or not I should homeschool my kids or put them in public school. God's word isn't explicitly telling us those things. So how do we determine what God's will would be in that from his word? Well, Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So we discern the scriptures. Again, it doesn't negate the first thing is that we go to the word. But we discern the scriptures with renewed minds. And then we apply that situationally. Again, all this is the work of God's spirit working within us. So two things that can aid in that discernment. One is planning. As I said earlier, probably more than 90% of our lives is not premeditated. But there are a myriad of decisions that we do come to that are premeditated. So we should plan in those decisions. Planning begins with prayer. First thing we do in our planning is we pray, is we go to the Lord with it. And then we gather facts around that decision. We examine those facts. We weigh them against God's word. And then we pray again and pray this time for wisdom and light of those things that we've learned about that decision James 1 chapter 5 or James 1 verse 5 says if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him but let him ask in faith so in our planning if we don't know how to go or where we should go we should seek the Lord pray gather some facts around that thing but then ask the Lord for wisdom in his word tells us plainly if we ask in faith he gives generously without reproach you're not going to get in trouble for asking a question how often times do we fear asking a question you ever sat in a boardroom or a meeting in some way you got a question but you're afraid to ask it because you're afraid of how your boss or someone else is going to respond to you in asking that question I can't tell you how many times I've not asked questions that I wanted the answer to because I was afraid of what someone would think or how they would respond to me, or if it was stupid or not. And then the stupidity came later when I didn't know the answer and I chose wrongly. Anybody relate, please? I'm not alone. But when it comes to God and what we want to do, if we're including him in that and say, Lord, I need your wisdom. And we're asking faithfully that he will respond. His word promises us he's going to give it generally and he's not going to get on to you about it. Matter of fact, he's going to be joyful that you came to him as, his, as your father and you trusted him with that question. He will grant it. What a wonderful truth. So we should plan. And then the second thing is we should seek counsel. Yes, God has given us his spirit. He's given us his word. But he's also given us his people. 
but we should seek wise counsel. Wise people or wise individuals will seek wise counsel. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 20, 18. Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. So we should look to God's people. We should look for people that are walking with the Lord, that are abiding with the Lord, and seek their counsel on questions that we have. Say, hey, here's my plan. Here's my, here's my problem. Here's my dilemma. Here's what I would like to do. Here's my plan. Here's all the facts around it. Help me sift through this. I prayed and I asked for wisdom. What is your wisdom? Would you join me in prayer and ask for their counsel? And then collectively, you're not alone in that. Sometimes it's hard to discern what the Spirit may be leading us to do in some way. But when we couple God's Word with His Spirit and His people, when those three things align, I can assure you, you're likely headed in the right direction in whatever decision that you do choose to move on. When those things align, we can have confidence in what we're doing. Faithfulness is much, much easier in a way when we're aligning ourselves in that way. So wise individuals seek wise counsel, but we also should beware unwise counsel. Psalm 1.1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So who are we going to? We should go to wise people walking with the Lord, but we shouldn't be going to wicked people. I'm not saying we shouldn't ever ask the opinion of someone based on their experience in something. We should choose wisely how we ask and what we're really giving credence to in some of the things that we seek from people. But we should beware counsel from wicked people, especially on things of morality. In moral situations, we need to be very careful what the world's opinion is on a matter versus what God's word would say or what God's people would say. In 1 Kings chapter 12, we have a really good example of what can happen when we follow unwise counsel. You have King Rehoboam, he's Solomon's son, who takes over after Solomon dies. He's the first king of Judah after Solomon. And he's faced with the dilemma. He's got a decision to make. He needs counsel. And on one side, he's got the old men that served under the wisest man that ever lived in King Solomon. And then he's got all his buddies that he grew up with. Whose counsel did King Rehoboam take? His buddies. And what happened? God's kingdom split into two. God's people, the nation of Israel that was meant to be a beacon of hope and light and unity to the entire world as a result of really bad counsel, it's split in two. If you know the history of Israel from that point, it gets really, really ugly to a point where God exiles them. Now, I'm not saying it's solely because of that instance, but that instance surely led to it because of foolishness not seeking or heeding wise counsel. So we should be careful. And the last thing when it comes to be wearing unwise counsel is seeking the counsel of our idols. The things that we worship, the things that we put on a pedestal, the things that we love most in many ways. We should be careful to take their insight. In chapter or in Isaiah 41, God is speaking in this as it relates to idols and how his people were seeking the wisdom of idols. God says, but when I look, there is no one. Among these, there is no counselor who, when I ask, give an answer. Behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. 
Paul chast, I mean, God chastises his people is that you're going and you're seeking the wisdom of these idols. They're metal images that don't do anything whatsoever. And you're asking their counsel. When I ask, though, there's no response. Therefore, you're not getting any response. So we should be careful. The things that we put above the wisdom of the Lord. An example of this is, is say, your kids. Maybe it's a job change or a move in some way. If we make decisions and we're worried, what is, what, how is my kid going to respond? How are they going to feel if I do this thing? If that becomes the basis of the decision you've made, you're, you're not seeking wise counsel. I'm not saying we shouldn't ask our kids to move on things or what their opinion may be on things, but if we're basing our move or that decision solely on how, say, our children may respond to that, We've idolized our children and would put their will over God's will instead of seeking the Lord first and the counsel of his word, his spirit, his people. But now say, say your children are, are older. Say your children have put their faith in Christ. That means they've received the spirit. If they're walking with the spirit, I would say absolutely include them in what that decision would be because they're God's people and they have his spirit. What a practical way to teach your children to seek the Lord in his wisdom and his word and walking with his spirit in those things. But we should be careful not to rule or move simply on what our idols may say. So we should plan, we should seek wise counsel. But ultimately, when it comes to that question of what is God's will for our lives, if we understand and we settle our heart on what his word says, that his will for you and I is to be holy and sanctified. And he's provided the means for that to be brought about in us. We should align ourselves as we're being filled with his spirit. We should be dedicating ourselves to the study of his word so that our minds are renewed. And as those things happen, church, those daily decisions that we face become much clearer to us. It doesn't mean that everything gets super simple and easy, but there is much more clarity that you and I can have. We're aligning ourselves and yielding ourselves to his leading in that way. And we will do well. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for this morning. And um, I, I say it a lot, and I'm so thankful that you have not left us to figure these things out on our own. Lord, that your standard is perfection. Your standard is holiness and righteousness. And left to our own, we were doomed, Lord. But you know that. You provided for us. In Isaiah 9, 6, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Your son, your sacrifice, our Savior, becomes our counselor Lord, your word tells us that, that, that he said it's better that he goes so that the helper, another one like me, will come. And he will guide you into all truth. What a wonderful thing, Lord. If I would but study your word, your spirit brings me understanding of it, Lord, so that I can align myself with your will in a way that glorifies you. And produces your holiness in me. And then I may find myself right in the middle of your will. I pray that for everyone in this room, Lord. That that truth falls heavy on their hearts. 
that you would prompt within them, Lord, a desire to get to know you, not just know your will. Because if we know you, understanding of your will will follow, Lord. And what a wonderful truth you've given us. And I pray that we align ourselves with it, Lord. We love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray.